0: Last week I told you I needed a lot of grace and I need grace this morning as well because I'm preaching an hour earlier than I normally do. I do not do well with the whole time change thing, but uh, I wanted to welcome you all, not to Harmony Grove, but I wanted to welcome you all to winner number two. One of the things that um, being from here, lived here all my life, a lot of people who move in want to ask about, explain the weather. Explain the weather of North Georgia because the weather of North Georgia is completely unique to any other place in the world. We don't have four seasons. We have 12 seasons. The first season we have is winter. The thing you need to understand about winter is our winter starts normally last of December all through January, but our winter temperatures can average anywhere from zero to 70. It's crazy. Nobody can really predict it. But after winter, we have another season called Fault Spring. That's what we had last week, okay? I've seen a lot of you out with your flip-flops and your sandals and and your um, shorts on. But today, we are in our second winter. After our second winter, we have what's called the Spring of Deception. The reason it's called the Spring of Deception is because a lot of people will start changing out their wardrobe. Listen to me, okay? If you live in the North Georgia mountains, you need to keep out at least one hoodie, one sweater, one flat on, one jacket. Don't put all your um, cold weather clothes away because we will have our third winter that will come sometime between April and May. It's hard to tell when it gets here. It's not on a schedule like any other schedule, but it is coming, after that, we go into spring. Spring is one of, one of the most beautiful times of year in the North Georgia mountains, but it leads into a time that I dread second most of the year, because we have a time called the pollening It's horrible, guys. This is a time that you want to stock up on Claritin, Zyrtec, Allegra. If it gets real bad, you need to go ahead and go get Singular. Um, But this is a horrible time of the year. And it leads, this happens normally in June, but it leads to summer. Summer is all of July. And I'm going to be honest with you. Our true summer is really not that bad. Temperatures anywhere from 78 to 90 degrees. But what comes after summer is absolutely horrible. We call it Hell's Front Porch. (laughs) This is the month of August. For all you people who are praying for summer and warm weather right now, when we get to Hell's Front Porch, I do not want to hear you say, I'm hot. (laughs) You prayed for it, you live with it. After Hell's Front Porch... you watch it now, after Hell's Front Porch, we move into a time called Fault's Fall. This is the time of year where everybody breaks out their flannel and pumpkin spice. Not really sure why, because you need to keep that stuff in the closet and on the shelves because after False Fall is our second summer. Our second summer is nowhere near as bad as Hell's Porch, and nowhere near as bad as the first summer, but it can still get pretty rough. Which leads us into the greatest time of year, I think, in the North Georgia mountains, which is fall. It is absolutely beautiful. It is my favorite time of the year. And while y'all are praying for hot weather right now, I'm going to tell you, I'm praying for late October. I love it. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. As we get started with this... um, I need to confess something to you. Over the month of February, I did a lot of self-examination and a lot of self-searching. And one of the things that I realized in my life is that I am overly committed. Can anybody identify with that? Can anybody identify with being overly committed? A lot of that comes from my problem of just not being able to say no. I truly struggle with telling somebody no. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So, unintentionally, I will say yes to things. And this becomes a huge struggle for me because I want to be a man of my word. But a lot of times I overbook myself. And when I overbook myself, a lot of times I forget that's why, if I tell you we're going to go to lunch or go to dinner, you'll see me get out my phone. I'm not checking Facebook. I'm not doing any of these things. I am putting it on my calendar. I learned a long time ago if it doesn't get on my calendar, it doesn't happen. But there's another problem that I have with being overcommitted. And that part comes from being voluntold. How I many you know what I mean when I'm talking about being voluntold? Anybody in here ever get voluntold? You're voluntold what you will do. This happens to me a lot. For some reason, there's this mindset of he's the pastor, he'll do it, so give it to him. And this doesn't just apply in church life. Two years ago, I was pretty much voluntold that I was going to be a soccer coach. Y'all can laugh because I'm going to tell you something. I know zero about soccer. Do I look like I play soccer? (laughs) I look like the ball. (laughs) But that's about it. I know absolutely zero about soccer. Well, this year, some things have got changed around in the rec department. And I'm going to tell you, a huge blessing happened to me because I've been praying for God to help me lessen my schedule, quit saying yes to everything, and start really focusing on the things that matter. January, I get a text. All soccer coaches, just to let you know, we're gonna be having a meeting here before long. If you're still interested, please attend the meeting in February. I never seen a meeting in February. Well, come to find out, some leadership has changed in our rec department, and they lost my name. (laughs) They lost my name and they lost my number. And while normally I would get upset about this, I hit my knees the other day when I called and said, Hey, I see y'all still need coaches. I don't know if you know it, but I've coached for the last two years, and if it helps the season get going, I'll go. Well, he turns around and tells me, he said, Oh, it's no problem. We had two other people stepped up, so you're clear to go this year. I hit the floor, guys. I was praising Jesus. You think he doesn't answer prayers? He answers prayers in huge ways. But... It's not just that way we get overcommitted. We get overcommitted by our kids. How many of y'all have ever had those opportunities come about where your kid comes in, it's about bedtime, they come in and they remember to tell you that they volunteered you for cupcakes for their um, Thanksgiving or Halloween or Valentine's party the very next day. Anybody been in that situation? Husbands. You ever been volunteered for a wedding that you didn't commit to go to? You didn't RSVP yes. She RSVP'd yes. She just told you that you're going. Kids, I know some of you think I get voluntold over time all the time. No, you're a kid. That's just life. Get over it. <laughs> but sometimes we even get overcommitted by our bosses. Bosses assign us up for something that really just does not go with our job description. It's not something that we signed up to be. And that's where a lot of stress comes into our life. We can be completely overcommitted. And when we are completely overcommitted, we are not living the life that God has called for us to live. We're not the only ones, though, who get overcommitted. Jesus is a person that's been overcommitted multiple times. Jesus will make your life happy. Jesus will make your life perfect. Jesus will make you rich. Jesus will make you healthy. And yes, he can do all those things. But will he do all those things? Absolutely not. And we have to understand that Jesus never said... Any of these things. He never said I'd make your life happy. He said he never said I would make your life perfect. He never said, I will make you rich. And he never said, I will make you healthy. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, it's important for us to start asking, Why did Jesus come? And over the next four weeks. We're going to be hitting on four of them. And throughout the Gospels, you see about 20 times where Jesus will make a statement that says, this is why I have come or I have come to do this. And we're mainly going to be focusing in the Gospels. Yes, today I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. You might want to get your pen handy. You might want to get your um, bulletin handy because I will be giving you a lot of scripture and it will not be up here. But as we lead up to Easter... We really need to think about this. Why is it that Jesus truly came? Why did He come to this earth? In Matthew chapter five, some people call this Jesus' first sermon, but technically, guys, it's probably most likely not his first sermon. It's just the first one that we see written in the scripture. But we see the Sermon of the Mount. And midways into chapter 5, and starting in verse 17, this is what Jesus says. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will not... Enter the kingdom of heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning just thankful for the opportunity to be here. We joke around about the seasons and how North Georgia is just absolutely unpredictable. But at the same time, we realize that you have ordained all these seasons the way you have to show us your glory. As we go through winter, Lord. It reminds me of valleys that we have in our life. Cold, dark valleys to where sometimes we don't see you working. But it's out of those cold, dark valleys, Lord, that you are bringing new life as we go into spring. And that fullness of that life comes about throughout the summer. But it's in the fall, Lord, that we're able to see the beauty of that work. And I'm so thankful for how you've allowed these seasons, Lord, to be instrumental in our lives, but also be instrumental to teach us, to teach us sometimes what you're doing in our life. Father, this morning we come to you asking you to speak through your scripture. Father, we're so thankful that you gave us this scripture. We're so thankful that we have this time to come together, to preach, to hear, to absorb, and to apply it to our lives. I pray for all my brothers, Lord, who are standing in the pulpit right now as I speak. And I pray the same thing for them that I'm praying for me, Lord. I pray for clarity. Clarity of what your scripture is saying. I pray for boldness. Boldness. Boldness to say the things that I necessarily don't want to say, but the things that really need to be said. But I also pray that through your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is doing a work in every single man, woman, and child's life that is hearing your word preached this morning. <coughs> Father, it's not our preaching that brings about salvation. It's the conviction of your Holy Spirit and it's your Holy Spirit doing a work in people. And this morning, Lord, we pray that not only here, but all over our county, that a harvest, Lord, a harvest even in the middle of winter would come about to proclaim your glory. Thank you for this time, Lord. I just pray now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. When Jesus is given this sermon, he wants to be very clear about why it is that he came. This is at the very first of Jesus's ministry. So he is trying to get the message out about why it is he is here. In the Bible, you will find 1239 prophecies. This is according to J. Barton, pages, J. Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. I had no idea this even existed till the other day. But in these 1,239 prophecies, you will see that a lot of these prophecies relate or parallel with Jesus Christ. Who he is, why he's come, what he's going to do, and what he's going to do through his church and through his people. Prophecy is one of those things that we really don't understand. A lot of people will think that there's new prophecies to come. Jesus is clear, there are no new prophecies. All prophecies have already been given, while all have not been fulfilled, and some are yet to come, there are no new prophecies. That's why I always have a red flag come up when somebody tells me, God told me. I don't even use those terms a lot. I'm I'm very, very guarded about using those terms because you know what? Sometimes I'm not listening to the God of the Bible. Sometimes I'm listening to the God of my life and what I want are things that I portray outward. But there are no new prophecies. Yes, yes. There are many to still be fulfilled, but there are many that point us to the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to go through with you, I want to go through 12 prophecies, just 12, that talk about the life of Jesus, that talk about him coming, that talk about his ministry, and that talks about his death, his resurrection, and the atonement for our sins, One of the first prophecies about Jesus going along with his life is that Jesus would be born of a a virgin. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This prophecy is fulfilled in Luke 1, 35. Another prophecy is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now this is getting specific. In Micah 5 uh, verse 12, it says, "But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from out of you will come from more, one who will rule all over Israel." Again, this is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. Another prophecy Jesus would end up in Egypt. We're getting very specific now. And in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Again, fulfilled Matthew chapter 2 verses 14 through 15. Then, one of the last ones that I'm focusing on, that Jesus would be preceded, By a forerunner. Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 4 says, A voice voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And in John chapter 1 verse 23, we see how John the Baptist did just this thing. Now that's just four. That's just four. But even with just those four, it's hard to deny that from what we know about Jesus' birth, that this is not the Son of God. Then we move on to prophecies about Jesus' ministry. It's clear in Psalms chapter 40 that Jesus would preach in the temples and to the people of Israel. In Psalms chapter 40 verse 9 it says, I proclaim your saving acts in a great assembly and I do not seal my lips. Again, this is fulfilled. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It goes on. Another Psalms tells how Jesus would teach in parables. My, uh, Maya, do you remember what a parable is? What is it? No, two male cows. Did you forget? No, it's a short story with a heavenly meaning. Got to spend some time with the kids the other night. It was awesome. They didn't like my parables joke either, so alright but in Psalms chapter uh, 78 verses 1 and 2 listen to what it says my people hear my teaching listen to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth with parables Matthew chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 fulfill this prophecy but what's even more humbling is right after that in the Matthew chapter 13 he tells us that the parables would fall on deaf ears. And Jesus even quotes this scripture from Isaiah chapter six, verses nine through 10. But every hearing, sorry, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of his people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their ears. Jesus knew that he would be preaching these parables, Jesus or teaching in these parables, and he knew that people wouldn't understand. But another thing about Jesus' ministry is that it would be a ministry of miraculous works. Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6 say that then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer and the tongues of the mute shall shout for joy. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. We see this fulfilled. Jesus' birth was prophesied and fulfilled. Jesus' ministry was prophesied about and fulfilled. And even Jesus' death in great detail was prophesied about and yet fulfilled. Zechariah 11 verse 12 tells us that throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they have me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter. Fulfilled. Matthew chapter 27 verses 6 through 10. It says that a bone in Jesus' body would not bro- be broke. Speaking of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter two or chapter 12, verse 46, 46, it says, It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside of the house and do not, do not break any of the bones. For a person to be crucified and not have their legs broken was very, very, very uncommon. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our well-being. And by his stripes, or his scourging, We are healed, pierced, both hands in his side, scourged. Some of your translations say by his stripes we are healed. Scourging is the striping that was given to Jesus right before he went to the cross. A little bit too much detail. But one that we're going to spend a little bit of time with here in a little bit. I want you to listen to this one. It says that Jesus' blood would be spilled and would make atonement for our sins. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Again, fulfilled. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. One of the reasons that Jesus stated that he come was to fulfill the prophets. See, Jesus didn't leave us hanging. There wasn't a lot of things talked about in the Old Testament and he just left it out there over our heads with no understanding. Matter of fact, the reason we have the Old Testament is so that we can see all these prophecies and how from the very beginning God had already made a plan to make atonement for our sins. This was not a backup plan. This was the original plan that was put in place by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit before the creation of time. He already knew That we would not be able to live a perfect life. So he made a way for us to be perfect through his son. And a lot of people think, well, Scotty, but why? But why is this so important? I want you to realize something. The probability of one man fulfilling just eight, just eight, of these prophecies is a one to 10 to the 17th power chance. Let me tell you what that is because I had to look it up myself and I checked it, this word is true. That is a one and 100 quadrillion chance that one person could fulfill just eight of these prophecies. You know, when it comes to science, we have these these different laws that we hold to, the laws of gravity. But one of the laws that is tested for every law and every scientific fact is called the law of probability. You ever heard of it? Law of probability states that if the chance is so great and surpasses such a far boundary that there is no way that it is possible and For this law of probability, it is a 1 and 10 to the 50th power chance. I did not look up what that word is. But it's a lot of zeros. Matter of fact, it's 1 with 50 zeros behind it. So anything that goes over that is considered impossible. If you were to Google prophecies fulfilled by Christ... You're going to see all kinds of numbers. Some of the numbers that you're most frequently going to see will go somewhere between 40 to 55 prophecies. For someone to fulfill 48 prophecies, it is a 1 in 10 to the 157th power of a chance. Do you know what that tells me? Going by the scientific law of probability, it is absolutely impossible, absolutely impossible for anyone to deny that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. It is absolutely impossible. But I told you the number was somewhere between 40 and 55. But Thursday, I spent some time looking at prophecies. And I did a lot of Google searches. And I found one that intrigued me. And if you want it, let me know after service. I'll send you the link to it. But it was a link of 351 prophecies or parallels of the Old Testament and Christ. Some people on their website have over 400 but 351 prophecies or parallels of Christ. Some that I didn't even think about. One of the ones that intrigued me the most was the story of Cain and Abel. Y'all know the story of Cain and Abel? Have any of y'all ever thought about that as a parallel to Christ or a biblical prophecy? I'll be honest with you. I haven't. I hadn't. I never thought of it. But I want you to think about it. You've got one son who presents an offering to God. It is acceptable. It is good. And it pleases the Lord. But you've got another son who presents an offering to God and it is rejected. And because of that rejection, anger builds up in the son who was rejected. And what does he end up doing? Killing. You ever thought about this? Israel is often called what? My son. Jesus is who? His son. Jesus' offering was pleasing, acceptable. But Israel's offering was rejected. And when Israel's offering was rejected, they killed the other son. All throughout the scripture, We see parallels, prophecies, just like this. And the purpose of these are to tell us that Jesus really is who he says he is. He's not coming on the scene just to make bold claims. He's coming to fulfill everything that the Old Testament has said. So with that being said, with me saying that right there, I want y'all to answer me a question right now. Is the Old Testament important? Because there's a lot of people who are out there saying, "You don't need it." It's null. It's void. It's dated, It's timed, and it's not something that we really need to be bringing into today. I want to remind you that the all of the law is found in the Old Testament. And what did Jesus say? Anyone who annuls even the smallest of one of these commands will be considered the smallest in the kingdom. Jesus came to fulfill the prophets. He came to show us, not to prove to us. He didn't have to prove to us nothing. But he came to show us that he is the son of God and that he loves us and he loves us so much that he wasn't even willing to spare his own life. Jesus makes it clear. He came to fulfill the prophets, but he also said something else. He came to fulfill the law. When we talk about the law and I've said this before but when we talk about the law one of the things that always comes to our mind is the what? The ten. The ten. We think about the ten. One God. No false idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Y'all bear with me, cause this hand's not full. So, <laughs> thou shalt not kill, or murder. Sorry, you got to be specific on that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not covet. Those are the laws we think about, aren't it? Aren't they? We just think about those ten. When in fact, just in the book of Leviticus, there are three to four hundred, I didn't take time to count them, there are three to four hundred laws that Jesus said he came to fulfill. And when we think about Jesus coming to fulfill the laws, what do we think? Well, he just come to live them out, right? We think that he just come to hold every one of them, to keep them. But when you're talking about the law, especially the law in Leviticus, you've got to understand that law is broke up really into three categories. The first of those categories is a moral law. This is where we get our right and wrong and what is right and wrong. The second category in Leviticus is a social law or a civil law. This is how we act in public. While the first set of laws are kind of how we act in private, the second set of laws are kind of how we act in public. But then there's a third set that goes along with that. And that third set is a religious standard of laws. And these religious standards of laws talk about the atonement, talk about making offerings, talk about making sacrifices. And these laws were all put in place by God himself, and Jesus says that he fulfills them all. Can you do it? How are you doing with the 10? How are you doing with the 300? How are you doing with the 300 to 400? But the, one that, the thing that gets me the most is what's the penalty for breaking just one? What is it? Hmm? Death. Breaking one law. One law. One time. That penalty is death. It's kind of harsh, isn't it? It's kind of harsh just for making one mistake. Because when you get in the laws... You see a difference, especially in the religious laws. You see a difference in sinning that you commit willingly, but there's also a sin that you commit unknowingly. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That because we make one mistake in our life, the debt that we have to pay for that one mistake is death. And guys, this is a problem for us. This is a huge problem for us. And Jesus is clear. He's clear in what he's stating there. Jesus stated that the law would not stop. It keeps going. He did not come to say, all right, that's enough with the 10. That's enough with the 300. I've come on the scene. I'm here. We're good to go. Jesus also stated that the laws were to be taken seriously, both in practice and in teaching. These aren't something that you minimize. These aren't something that you just think nonchalantly about. And you know guys, here's where we've got to be honest with ourselves. Daily. Daily we sin. So even if we were to be able to make an atonement for ourselves for one day, what would we have to do tomorrow? What would we have to do Tuesday? What would we have to do Wednesday? We've got a problem. Jesus never said, you don't have to follow the law. Even after you come to him, hear me out on this. There are still requirements. Because there's a lot of people that I hear today that think, well, my sin's covered so I don't have to worry about it. I can do this. I can go to that party. I can get hammered. I can have an affair on my wife and I can do all these things because Jesus has already paid the debt for that sin. Man, that's dangerous. Not only is that dangerous, that is vile. That is vile and wicked thinking that has been brought into our mind. And Jesus made it clear. You do not take these laws lightly. But understand this. When Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, he modeled it. Every single bit of it, he lived his life to it. He held it. Jesus was a sinless person. The only sinless person, and he held all of it. But another thing that we don't realize about the law when we're talking about the law is he completed it. Did you know the law had to be completed? Did you know that? Because the completion of that law is the judgment. The completion of that law is the verdict of death. The completion of that law is him fulfilling the obligation of judge, of jury, and his executioner. And he fulfilled it. I pointed out Leviticus chapter 17. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 17. You don't have to. It's not going to be on the screen. But there's a couple of things that I want you to see very clear in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, about what Jesus done for us and how he completed the law. Now I'm reading a different translation Peggy, be proud of me. I'm using her translation this morning. Just by cause of the way it worded things, it really spoke to me. And I pray it speaks to you as well. But in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, here's what it says. It says, for the life of the body is in the blood. Can you live without blood? No. Why? Because blood is what causes oxygen to flow to all of your organs. Yes, oxygen comes in through your lungs, but it is taken in through your lungs, put into your blood, and then it goes everywhere in your body. Your brain, believe it or not, requires oxygen. Now, I know some of you have a lot of air up here, a lot of oxygen up here. There's days I have a lot of oxygen up here but your brain requires oxygen your heart requires oxygen and for that oxygen to get to your heart it requires the blood flowing through it but the heart is the amazing thing that pumps the blood through all of your body so it's what pumps the body of the blood to your kidneys to your liver to your intestines to the extremities of your body It is what causes this blood, this blood that is inside of you and me to bring life to us. Without blood, we do not live. Jesus knew that for the penalty of our sin to be truly paid, it had to be paid. Life for life life for life Tommy would you give your life for Peggy would you give your wife for life for Brittany what about Eli maybe not (laughs) Easton quit bragging I see you over there Tommy, would you give your life for a convicted killer? Would you give your life for a convicted rapist? Would you give your life for a terrorist? Would you give your life for a child molester? Would you give your life for a president? (laughs) He's turning a little red. Jesus loves the world so much, and when we're talking about the world, he's talking about everybody in it. That no matter if they're a child molester, he died for them. No matter if they're a convicted murderer, he died for them. No matter if they're a terrorist, he died for them. If they're a president, he died for them. John tells us that greater love have no man than this, that he would lay his life down for another. When Christ came to fulfill the law, he came to lay down his life for us. Verse 11, it goes on to say, I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you in church, we hear a word a lot. We hear the word atonement. And a lot of people do not understand what atonement really means. But atonement is simply what the NLT translation says. It purifies us. It cleanses us. It takes all the rot, all the filthiness, all the things that are in our life, and it cleans us of them. Yesterday is absolutely beautiful watching the snow, wasn't it? I got up real early, I gotta tell y'all. I got up real early and um, come up here for the men's breakfast. And it was pretty cool because it was snowing real hard. And I turned on my high beams. And whenever it's snowing hard and I turn on the high beams, I feel like I'm in the Millennium Falcon. You know what I'm talking about? When they go into hyperdrive and you see the shh, love it. (laughs) I loved it because the roads were absolutely clear. I even put my hand on my driveway. It was warm. I'm like, yeah, we're getting out. You look at the ground, it is beautiful. It is white as snow. The problem with this is my yard right now. My yard right now is not beautiful. Is anybody's yard beautiful? I got a lot of bare spots. Weston said his yard's beautiful. Good job, Daniel. I got a lot of bare spots. I got a lot of spots that look pretty nasty. I got a lot of spots in my yard that look absolutely horrible. And when that snow falls and it covers them, It makes it absolutely beautiful. When Jesus spilled his blood for us, and that blood is applied to that altar on our behalf, I want you to hear this. Jesus doesn't see your sin. God doesn't see your sin. Your sin is covered. And this is important for Christians. This is important for Christians because a lot of us are hanging on to sins that God's already let go of. We can't get rid of the guilt. We can't get rid of the shame. We can't believe that we did those horrible things when we were 20 to 30. We can't believe we allowed ourselves to get bombarded by all the junk that was in our life. And brothers and sisters, you gotta understand something. You are clear. You are pure, you are clean. And that doesn't mean you can go out and do it again. That just means you don't have to hold on to that guilt no more. God's not holding on to your guilt and he's the only one who can. So if he's let go of it, why can't you? Why can't you? It's funny. Jesus can forgive us easier than we can forgive ourselves. But Jesus never meant for us to hang on to that. Because he goes on to say, it is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes perfection possible. I got to spend some time a couple of days ago. Got to go read to, to, to Miss Brittany's class. Absol- oh, Miss Jordan's class. I'm sorry, it's not Miss Brittany. But I absolutely love the time to get to go into the schools. And we may have to cut this one out, but I want to tell on myself a little bit. They always tell us to pick the book that we want to read, or we can pick a book in the library. Well, I bring my book. And I was very careful about the book, because the last thing I wanted to do is get Brittany in trouble. No, I didn't take the Bible. Um but I did take a little children's book that was given to me or actually given to the boys by Roberto um, when they come to live with us. Roberto gave me this book and it's a book written by Chris Tomlin and it's called Good, Good Father. When you sung that last week, I about cried because that was the book I read that week. And it's the story of this little bear. Now bear with me for a little bit. It's the story of this little bear who lives in a bear town. Where else do bears live? And in this bear town, he sees a lot of things that bother him. He sees bears that are hungry. He sees bears that are sick. He sees bears that are lonely. He sees bears that just need somebody there with them. So he goes on this adventure. And as he's going on this adventure, he goes to each of these little towns. He goes to a frog town, a raccoon town, and all these other towns. And all these towns keep telling him, You need to take the king, because that's where the little bear was going. He was going to the king, because he wanted to take this um, problem straight to the king. So they tell him, You need to take a gift. You need to take a gift to the king. You need to take a gift like a bandage, or a gift like a violin. And he collects all these gifts. And by the time he is making his way to the king, by the time he's making his way to the king, he can barely hold all the stuff. He goes in to the castle. The door's wide open. Wide open. He walks right in. The king sees him, runs to him, throws his arms around him, and says, I'm so glad you're here. You brought the perfect gift. The little bear starts telling the king about all these problems. The king sympathizes with him. Sees the hurt in his heart. Sees the brokenness. And the king makes everything right. The little bear is still puzzled though. Because when he walked in, the king threw his arms around him and said, you brought the perfect gift. He wanted to know what it was. Was it the bandage? Was it the violin? What was the perfect gift? So he asked the king, which of these gifts was the perfect gift? And the king looks at the bear and says, you, you are the perfect gift. God values life a lot. God values life so much that he sent his son to die for the life of others. And because of that blood that was spilled for us and applied to that offer, altar, we are clean. And when we are clean, do you know what that makes us before God? That makes us a perfect gift? I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like a perfect gift. I look at my body and I think, there ain't no way this is a perfect gift. Perfect for Krispy Kreme and Michelin, man, but that's about it. There ain't no way this is a perfect gift. I think about all the things going on in my mind and I think, there is no way this is the perfect gift. I think about all the anger, bitterness, hatred, and in my heart, and I think to myself, there is no way this is the perfect gift. I think about all the imperfections, in my past, and I think to myself, there is no way this is the perfect gift. But when Jesus came to fulfill the law, this is what He did Amen. He made you the perfect gift. And anyone who believes in this blood that was spilled for them knows the wickedness in their heart and humbly submits themselves to Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. He makes them a perfect gift no matter what is in their past. Brothers and sisters, you're a perfect gift. The people that you interact with today through their confession of Jesus as Lord, Master, and Savior, they can be a perfect gift too. That child molester, as hard as it is for us to really wrap our minds around this, them throwing themselves at the mercy of God, they can be a perfect gift. That terrorist if the Holy Spirit awakens their heart to who he is and what they've done, they can be a perfect gift. You say, Scotty, how can you say that? Because if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. Because I am far from perfect. But by Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets, he's made us all perfect gifts if we surrender our lives to Him. Father, there is nothing that I deserve from You but punishment, wrath, rejection, You loved me so much. You loved me when I couldn't even love myself. And you made me aware, God, of how your son, the perfect man, sinless life, came to present himself as a perfect offering. And because of that perfect offering, He's made me a perfect gift. And that's why daily, Lord, my prayer is that you would help me to present my body to you as a living offering. And the only way that is holy and acceptable is through what Jesus has done. And this morning, Lord, as we approach this resurrection celebration, what I hope people live with, leave with here today, whether they be in person or in online, long, in long is that because of what you did, you made them the perfect gift. That they no longer have to hide in that guilt. That they no longer have to hide in that shame. That they no longer, Lord, have to hate the things of their past because you died for it and you don't see it. Thank you for giving us, Lord. Help us to forgive ourselves. Now, Lord, you do what only you can do through your word, through your spirit. Draw your children to yourself. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.